President Biden visits Illinois to defend vaccine mandates. The process of redrawing congressional district boundaries in Illinois gets underway. And Illinois lawmakers consider taking away some legal protections for law enforcement officers. We'll talk about that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock and I'm here again with our State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. Last month, President Joe Biden issued a sweeping order for all federal workers, military personnel, and federal contractors to be vaccinated for COVID-19. He's also asked the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to issue an order that all private sector employers with 100 or more employees require their workers to be vaccinated or tested at least once a week. On Thursday of this week, the president was in the Chicago area to defend those mandates. Joining him were Governor J.B. Pritzker and Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, both of whom have issued similar mandates for their employees, as well as health care workers and school employees. Predictably, those mandates have faced pushback and criticism in some circles. Here's a little bit of what the president had to say. Folks, vaccination requirements work, and there's nothing new about them. They've been around for decades. We've been living with these requirements throughout our lives. Students, healthcare professionals, our troops have been required to receive vaccination for everything from polio to measles to mumps to rubella. And the reason most people in America don't worry about polio, measles, mumps, rubella, is because they've been vaccinated. I don't quite get this, you know, why it's a matter of no violation, your right to be able to go to school or get a job, have, et cetera. But now it's a great cause. So, so today, I'm calling more employers to act. My message is require your employees to get vaccinated. With vaccinations, we're going to beat this pandemic finally. Without them, we face endless months of chaos in our hospitals, damage to our economy, and anxiety in our schools, and empty restaurants, and much less commerce. Okay, so Jerry, it seems like at least on the national level, uh, major business groups seem to be okay with this mandate. Uh, a lot of them have come out and supported it. Uh, how has it gone in Illinois? What kind of reaction has has there been to Pritzker's orders? Yeah, I think there's the sort of pushback you see from uh, what the president described as a sort of vocal minority. The vast majority support it. Um, the president was at, uh, I believe, Clayco was the company he was uh, commending for their decision to require the vaccines. So uh, both of them said, uh, the president and the governor said, you know, these mandates work. Uh, the workforces, you see much vaster, greater vaccination rates uh, when these mandates are in place. And the president also described this as sort of the best uh, economic driver you could have because you, you can return to some level of normalcy if people aren't constantly worried about this transforming virus that's tr transforming in people who are unvaccinated. So um, I think 
that's just kind of the reality both of these two uh, politicians are looking at. Okay. Uh, he did also announce that his administration has reached a labor agreements with two of the larger public employee labor unions. Within public schools, however, within the school system, however, there seems to be a little bit more of a pushback, especially on the mask mandate. Uh, some private schools have gone to court. Uh, of course, if they don't follow the mask mandate, the Illinois State Board of Education just yanks their recognition, and they've gone to court. And I think a couple of judges in a couple of different counties have backed the schools on that. But we're expecting the State Board of Education to start issuing some actual formal rules along that line. Uh, just looked up some of the recent numbers. Uh, as of Friday, 63% of the Illinois population aged 12 and over is fully vaccinated. 64% of the 18 and over population has been vaccinated. Weekly cases do seem to be coming down a little bit. On Friday, the Department of Public Health reported there had been 19,244 new cases over the previous week. That's down from the week of September 17th when it was like 21,787. The case positivity rate, which we've been following, uh, that's new cases as a percent of total tests performed, is down to 2.1%. So it does look like cases are coming down. Uh, maybe hospitalization rates and deaths will follow after that. Those tend to be trailing indicators. Uh, does it feel like the situation is starting to get better? I'm, I mean, I know we've been down that path before, but... Yeah, there's definite improvement. You know, the concern is, I think it was November of last year when we had one of the worst surges and in deaths and all of that so i mean the unvaccinated people are going to be spending more time indoors and less outdoors as the weather gets cold so there's always the concern that you allow those um, levels to rise uh, if you don't get vaccinated and as you go inside so yeah we're seeing some definite progress right now and i, I really hope we can sustain it and, of course, we've got the holiday seasons coming up not too far away. Uh, people will be getting together with friends and family in close indoor settings. There's always some concern about that. Uh, but with this level, we're up into the 60% range, which is higher than it was, I guess, back in the summer, but still not exactly where we want to be. Uh, so I guess people are feel feeling a little bit safer about it right now. Uh, but I want to move on. Uh, we need to make at least a brief mention of the fact that the Illinois House and Senate redistricting committees have reconvened. They're now starting the process of congressional redistricting. Uh, we just went through a very complex and pretty controversial process of redrawing state legislative district maps. Now we're going to redraw congressional district maps. We expect lawmakers to take that up in October 19th when they return for the fall veto session. The interesting part about this is that historically the party that holds the White House loses seats in a new president's first midterm election. That would be the Democrats right now. They currently hold a very slim majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. 
But Illinois is losing a seat, and it's Democrats who are firmly in charge of drawing the district lines here. So I think there's some national attention being paid to Illinois in terms of how they redraw the maps and if they will favor Democrats in a way that will at least buffer some of the losses that many people are expecting. Of course, it was heavily Republican Southern Illinois that lost the most population. Uh, So we're likely to see uh, at least one of those congressional districts kind of disappear and the others get reformed. Uh, But want to talk to you a little bit about uh, a central Illinois Republican, Rodney Davis, uh, who has talked about running for governor if they redraw his district in a way that it looks like he won't be able to win re-election. What do we know about Rodney Davis so far? Yeah, what he said, basically, he's been pretty consistent. He says, you know, if you draw me out of my district, there's a chance I run for governor. I'm still considering my options. Uh, I'm, of course, paraphrasing. So Rodney could be a force um, that Pritzker, of a, a, a moderate Republican that could challenge Pritzker on a number of things. Um, he's certainly not of the ilk of the Darren Bailey type candidates that are already in there and Gary Rabine, who seemingly say controversial things every single day. Um, But in terms of Illinois' congressional district, they're going to go from 18 to 17, and I think that it's a 13 to 5 split currently with Democrats over Republicans, and you assume they draw out one Republican district to be about 13 to 4, but also there's the potential that uh, the Democrats could draw those maps to make it like a 14 to three split. So, and that could be part of the reason President Biden's here too in those suburbs because he wants to, you know, shore up that level of support um, with a visit in, in those districts that have been trending blue. And of course we have Congresswoman Sherry Bustos in the Quad Cities area who has announced that she's not running for reelection. That's a part of the state that has been getting more and more competitive each year. I think her last couple of elections, she won by pretty thin margins. Uh, And there was some speculation that maybe she saw the writing on the wall and didn't think she could win re-election. I don't know. You think they'll try to configure that district in a way that will favor whatever Democratic nominee comes along? Yeah, I certainly think they'll they'll try to draw it for the um, Democrats to maximize their presence in Illinois because there's a lot of Democrats really nationally don't care for gerrymandering, as it's called, um, for drawing maps in, in a partisan manner. But in Illinois, they're really fighting for their ability to do that because they know how important it is uh, with Republican control and many of the other uh, uh, states that'll that'll be drawing their own maps this year in, in a political manner in the opposite direction. Okay, and then finally, uh, something else that you covered this week. Uh, we need to talk about the concept of qualified immunity, which is kind of an arcane legal term. It's basically a legal doctrine that protects police officers and other public officials from being sued personally for their actions in office. It's become highly controversial uh, in law enforcement, uh, as we've seen uh, many, many cases now of uh police using excessive force, uh, the shooting of unarmed black people in particular. Uh, What are lawmakers 
considering here? Yeah, it was a really interesting and kind of a long discussion. About three hours uh, they discussed it, and it's it's almost a philosophical issue at times. Just the the, the main thing is. Uh, these officers can be uh, sh uh, protected from civil liability in these circumstances if uh, they go to court and the court determines that exact circumstances that happened in this case hadn't really been decided in previous law. So the officer uh, can, can say, you know, I was reacting to this information I had um, and I used the trainings I had and this is the... Thing, the the response I came to, um, it was a split second decision and whatnot, and so the courts in those circumstances um, just throw out the case really before it goes much further than that. So you, when you listen to some of the legal scholars who are looking to reform qualified immunity, um, they would say their argument was, you know, if these officers can't face civil liability you're making the argument that or setting the precedent that civil rights aren't that important um, because the you're not going to get your case to trial because of this qualified immunity even if you can prove civil rights had been violated so um, this task force isn't going to take the action in and of itself um, at the end of this month they're going to have a report to the general assembly um, at which point they'd consider whether further action is needed. Uh, when they passed the criminal justice reform earlier this year, um, there was some law enforcement pushback and they ended up taking out the language that would have ended qualified immunity. So um, this will be just a report as to what, what they could do, maybe instead of ending it, instead of reforming it, like may, making law enforcement officers sort of prove that this is the training that they've had and this is why they reacted to the training the way they did and whatnot. But, um, so, but on a more basic level, the reason we have this legal doctrine, you know, if a school board adopts a policy for the district that ends up violating your child's civil rights, you can sue the school district, but you don't sue the individual school board members who voted for it. You know, if you apply for a building permit and the city turns you down, you can sue the city, but you don't personally sue the planning director who turned you down. Uh, why is it so much more controversial in law enforcement? I think there's some uh, dire circumstances that we've seen play out on video um, that that get into that sort of philosophical question. I, I guess it becomes a question. At, at, you talk about those videos. Was an officer really acting within the scope of his authority, or was he, you know, acting out of internal animus or prejudice or something of that sort? Uh, you can try and sue the city over that, and the city will say, oh, well, you know, that was the police officer who did it. But then you turn around and uh, qualified immunity protects the police officer. Yeah, well, I should note in, in a lot of those circumstances where we see the videos blow up, such as George, George Floyd, there was no qualified immunity there for Derek Chauvin because he had so very clearly um, violated the law. And that wasn't just a discretionary act um, that could be shielded by qualified immunity. Um, that was just something far beyond that and because of the video. And that was even what some of the uh, police officers 
the people on the law enforcement affiliated panel said they said you know we need to get more uh adopt more uh body cameras quickly because the video really takes away some of the legal gray area in which qualified immunity would apply because it, it really shows like in Derek Chauvin's case that uh there was a gross um sort of abandonment of of anything that would allow him that uh immunity and so finally this was something that the legislative black caucus considered when they were pushing through their big criminal justice reform initiative uh, a year ago uh, but they agreed to take it out and put this task force in place instead because too many people just had too many questions about it i guess we'll be awaiting their final report when it comes out until then that's going to do it for this week on capital cast Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock with Jerry Nowicki saying stay safe and thank you for listening.